Welcome to Beyond My Comic Shop. I am your host, Anthony Desiato. Beyond My Comic Shop is a subseries of My Comic Shop History, featuring stories in and around the comic book world. This subseries was previously known as Flat Squirrel Tales, but following a crisis on infinite podcasts, all of my shows now live under the My Comic Shop History podcast feed. This installment originally aired as an episode of Flat Squirrel Tales last season. It features an illuminating chat with two up-and-coming comics creators about trying to break into the industry and about the life of the aspiring creative professional generally. My Comic Shop History, Beyond My Comic Shop, and My Comic Shop Book Club will all return with new episodes later in 2018. For now, enjoy this presentation of Breaking In. This is our comic creator spotlight. I am joined by two up-and-coming creators. Across from me, we have writer Frank Martin. What's up? Yeah, welcome to the show. And to my right, we have artist Damian Torres. Hello, guys. So thank you to both of you for joining me here today to record at The Spider's Web in Yonkers. So... A filmmaker, a writer, and an artist walk into a comic book store. (laughs) (laughs) Not the setup to a bad joke, but the setup to our episode. Uh, We three are all aspiring creative professionals uh, in various areas. And, you know, it's something that I know a lot of other people out there, you know, they might be in a similar position. And I think there's a lot we can speak to that others will be able to identify with. You know, before we really get into it, I want to I want to qualify my use of the word aspiring because uh, I'm kind of particular about this. I don't really consider myself an aspiring filmmaker. I've made three documentaries. I'm preparing to make my fourth. So I I make movies. I don't consider myself an aspiring filmmaker. Similarly, Frank, I wouldn't call you an aspiring comic writer. You write comics. Your anthology series, uh, Modern Testament, is published by indie comics publisher Insane Comics. Correct. And Damien, you too. I wouldn't call you an aspiring artist. You draw. You recently had art that was published in an issue of Red Sonja. Yeah. And then you also draw for, uh, is it Upper Deck? Uh, yeah, I was. Um, I haven't done anything for them in a while. But, uh, yeah, I've done work for Upper Deck. I've done work for Cryptozoic. I did some sketches for Valiant that was uh, in Exo Man of War number 50, uh, 49 and 50. So I did uh, like 40 different sketches that were randomly inserted inside there. Cool. So, yeah. you know, I think the aspiration comes in, uh, you know, at least for me, it's like I want, I aspire to reach a wider audience. I aspire to hit my funding goal on the Kickstarter campaign that I plan to launch soon. Um, you know, so that's where the aspiration comes in. I mean, would you guys agree with that? Yeah, yeah, I think that there are certain goals that people have in mind and you're always aspiring unless until you've hit those goals. So, and it gets kind of crazy because when sometimes your goals are to see your, your comic or your, your novel turned into a movie, I mean, what are the odds of that happening? But until that happens, you kind of always feel like you're inspiring inside. Yeah, I agree. Once you get yourself out there, like you've already done it. So I don't think you should be considered no longer as aspiring. You're, you're out there and not many people can say that. Right. Uh, so I, I, up and coming, I think, is, is the yeah. more appropriate term. Uh, Frank, just quick side note. Uh, so you were a former uh, regular customer at Alternate Realities. I was for a long time, over a decade. Number 50? I was number 50. That's ah, a good memory. It. Well, it was, it was a good number. It was a good solid number. It wasn't like some random number. 50 was a good middle point between 100. So, um, yeah, I had that number for, I don't know, since I was in eighth grade. So 15 years, maybe. Yeah. I mean, I certainly always remembered you coming in. I have to say, I think in these few minutes here that since we started recording, I think this is more than we ever conversed <laughs> in the entire time that you came into the store. <laughs> probably, probably. It was uh, 
get in, get your comics, and get out. It was just a regular stop on the day. Yeah, well, it's you know we always talk about the community at AR and, and the people who who did stay and talk and come out to dinner with us and all of that. But then yeah, there were people like yourself who you know were in and out and nothing mm-hmm. wrong with that. Just a different different experience. Yeah, it was maybe ten minutes out of the week, but then again, when he closed, it was like that ten minutes kind of altered the entire course of my life. <laughs> <laughs> So, you know, I, I want to speak about, you know, the work that each of you have done and things that listeners should should know about. But again, just this this life of the of the aspiring slash up and coming creative professional. I think there's there's a lot that we probably share a lot of waiting, a lot of rejection, self-doubt, insecurity. I don't know. Maybe I'm just speaking for myself. I don't I don't want to I don't want to project these things onto you guys. No, I, I go through the same things. No, that's yeah. true. There's a lot of vulnerability, too, of doing something and not knowing how putting it out there and not knowing how people are going to react to whether that they take to it or whether or not they even care in general. So I think that's universal to everything that you're doing, not necessarily one aspect of an art. So for both of you guys, take me back to the beginning. When did, when did you get into writing and drawing? Like Frank, for you, all those years coming into alternate realities, were you writing comics at that point and we didn't even know? I wasn't really writing comics. I mean, I think first time I really started like writing, like writing, it was way back in elementary school when they force writing on you a little bit. They say, write a story, and you know, and I think everybody goes through that. And I really enjoyed it. And then it got to the point where um, all the movies and all the video games that I played and the comics that I've read, where I really enjoy the characters, I think a lot of creators start with fan fiction because they want to write stories with those characters, and I've always did it. And then at some point in time, I said, you know what, I'm going to break free from using other people's creations and, and start with my own. So that's kind of how my writing origin story was was going. Okay, so how far back are we talking with this? I would say the first story I found, which my father actually just found recently buried in some pile of stuff, was like first grade. It was kind of a crazy time travel story where I found a, a capsule and I jumped in, I went back in time and then I came back and the end of the story was like, and I got a A on my history paper because... <laughs> <laughs> so it was kind of silly, but it was very cool to see, to see my younger self have that um, imagination to try to craft a story out of nothing right so uh in the second episode of this podcast series we did a movie club discussion of the new power rangers movie and i talked about my fandom of the show as a child and how i would write stories uh, after i watched the episodes and after we recorded i went through my my archives and i pulled out some of those original stories and it was it was really fun to take a look at i found another story that i wrote that was completely unrelated to power rangers and Basically, the whole premise was I, I kept going like from from friend's house to friend's house and we kept we were playing basketball and the backboard kept breaking. <laughs> it was like each friend's house I went to, like they, they broke their backboard. It was not a great story, but kind of fun to uh, to take a look at all these years later. Uh, <laughs> and Damien, what about you? How When did you start drawing? Uh, I started drawing, I guess, ever since I got hold of a pencil. My dad would uh, draw all the time and I kind of just followed in his footsteps. Uh, in his case, he did it just for, you know, a hobby. It was more for fun, but, uh, I started taking it seriously and I just kept going with it. I grew up on like the, the Batman animated series and the Spider-Man cartoon and X-Men. So I was just replicating a lot of what I saw, uh, on those shows, uh, as best as I could at, as a kid. And it wasn't until about middle school where I decided I kind of want to make a career out of this. Um, I was reading more comics heavily at that point. And I just decided to stick with it. Uh, it was with my English teacher, actually, my eighth grade English teacher. He said, uh, you know, when you guys go into high school and then 
you go into college and you start picking your careers, you know, go for something that you're going to love and enjoy. And it hit me like I love drawing, so decided to stick with it. And yeah, and uh, I've just been drawing ever since. I think everybody kind of goes through that a little bit too when they're yeah. when they're younger. They like drawing. I because I like creating characters. I love trying to draw those characters. And I quickly found I was a <laughs> terrible artist. <laughs> so, so I stick with the kind of the imaginative forms. So, as a comic um, writer, you're a little bit. Um, <clears throat> I don't want to say handicapped, but we we rely heavily on artists to to kind of bring our creations to life. Yeah, that relationship, I, I, especially since I have a writer and an artist, I, I do want to get into that dynamic because I, I think it's really interesting. Damien, I want to say, you know, I, I briefly had a pull list at Spider's Web mm. for a, I know, a good half a year, maybe a little bit more. I was reading some of the Rebirth books as an experiment for the other podcast. And I got to say, it was always such a treat to come in and see the uh, the head sketches that you would draw <laughs> on the store bags. No, seriously. And I actually use that to organize my comics. So I used to be, you know, full, proper, bagging and boarding, boxing. I'm past that now. Right. I leave them in the store bags, but I use your sketches to organize. So I know, you know, my Superman books are in the Superman bag. That's cool. <laughs> uh, when when did that start? When did the sketches start? Is that right from the beginning of Spider's Web? Uh, yeah, more or less. Uh, once I started working here, it kind of just, uh, I was signing the bags for the subscriber list. And I figure, you know, I still have some extra time to kill. So whenever I had a chance, I would draw on as much bags as possible. Um, and I figured Miller Comic Shop probably does something like that. So, <laughs> Yeah, no, it's like it's such a nice touch. Do you enjoy those, Frank? Uh, to be honest, I've never noticed them. <laughs> <laughs> now that I'm thinking about it, that's a great personal marketing little little gimmick. But I've... Um... Maybe they were just on mine. I, no, you do them on you do them on a lot. Not everyone. Not everyone. Yeah, I couldn't get to everybody all the time. Um, no, I don't, I don't think I've seen them. Yeah, I'm gonna be looking now though. <laughs> oh yeah, keep an eye out. They're they're. I mean, they're really great. Uh, what from? Do you get responses from other people about them? Yeah, and a, a bunch of others have said similar things. They keep them, or uh, you know, some don't even notice. They uh, they just go right in the garbage anyway. But uh, you know, I just figure it's a fun thing to do. Um, and if people catch on to it, you know, it's something a bit extra with their comics. I have to look now because I save all those bags because <laughs> I, I use them to to organize my comics too. So. Yeah, man, those are collector's items. <laughs> I have some alternate realities bags too, so those are those are real. Yeah, those are those are rare. <laughs> Out of print. <laughs> I think I have exactly one uh, AR bag. Yeah, they're uh, which which one? Do you know? Uh, Superman. The Superman. So that was the last uh, one. There were there was a Batman bag, Green Lantern. There, yeah, there were a few iterations of the store bags, and uh, sadly, yes, out of print. So if you have them, <laughs> just hang on to them. Now, Damien, you actually had formal comic book art training. Yeah, you attended and actually I'm excited to have you here because I've never known I've heard it said both ways So I, I can get an official ruling on the correct pronunciation Kubert school or Kubert school Um, they say Kubert. Kubert. All right. Everybody does the same thing. It's Kubert or Kubert. All right Well, we'll, we'll go with we'll go with what they say. So you, right. at, you attended the Kubert school, which yeah. is an institution devoted to training The next generation of comic book artists. Yeah, more or less um, Comics and commercial art in general Okay. Uh, we did have a lot of narrative courses, which was the, the main focus, but we've had painting classes and business uh, illustration classes, so and advertising and things like that. So in case you wanted to venture out or you have more options on the table. It's good uh, to have that versatility. Yeah. How many how long is the program? Three years. Okay. And what's the what's the degree that you're getting? 
Uh, it's a certified program. Okay. So you get a certificate and you're declared an official artist by the time you're done, I guess. So now, did you do this in lieu of a traditional undergrad bachelor's degree or did you do both? Uh, yeah, actually, I, I attended the College of Westchester out here um, for two years uh, before I decided to go over there. Gotcha. Um, I actually knew I wanted to go to Cubert right after middle school. But by the time I got to that point, I didn't feel I was ready. And I guess uh, having gone to Nintendo school, didn't really matter if you were ready or not. They break you there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, so when I was planning out this season's lineup of episodes, I, I toyed with the idea of, of doing an episode on the Qbert School. They right. followed me on Twitter randomly. And I was like, oh, like maybe this is an opportunity here. Uh, and I didn't pursue it this year, but I think that's something that I would like to do down the line. I mean, my day job, I work in law school admissions. So I was yeah. like, it'd be kind of fun to bring in someone from admissions. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> at that institution, we could kind of compare notes, uh, maybe at some point down the line. But speaking of admissions, what, what was the selection process like for that? Uh, so when, when you go in and you apply, you have a portfolio of at least, I think it was like 10 to 15 pieces. It, it didn't matter what it was. Uh, at the time, I didn't draw uh, like a panel by panel page. It was just pinups, really. Gotcha. Um, and uh, that was uh, totally dumb of me, but... You know, I got in, um, but the way it was, you uh, you go with your portfolio and you have an interview <clears throat> with the uh, the person who handles admissions. Uh, and then he gives you a tour around the school, and then you have a phone interview afterwards. So uh, thorough. Yeah, yeah, it's it's kind of yeah. it's kind of like a job interview. Um, yeah, that to have that all that much FaceTime. Yeah, is interesting. Yeah, so like they they really do get to know you as you're uh, conversing and and discussing what. You know, your interest in comics and what it is exactly you want to do. Um, it's like applying to West Point. All you need is the center's recommendation. In your <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and the earlier you are, the better. Um, it's in Jersey, right? Yeah, Dover, New Jersey. And how many students in a, in a class, typically? So that's been increasing lately. Because um, you were class of 14? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so in my starting year, it was about 32 students, I think in total so there's three classes of us so each class is probably about 10 to 12 students or something like that but i guess more and more people are finding out about the school so there's been a greater uh, frequency of students coming in so like at the time it was a lot to have three classes of first year students but now they have like four uh and there's been rumors every now and then of maybe five in the near future i want to jump back to that in a second but frank did you have any formal writing training not particularly. I mean, uh, in aside from taking a creative uh, writing class in college, and there were a bunch of people in there who had no business, or not, I wouldn't say no business, but no interest in writing. But I was really, I wanted to pursue writing as a as a profession, so I took it quite seriously. And other people were just looking to get the English credit, and they thought it'd be something fun to do. So, but far as anything aside that, I mean, it's really just practice and reading. You know, the, the best way to actually learn how to improve your craft is to see other people doing it and not reading to enjoy, but reading to learn and noticing all the nuances of storytelling and how panels work and how uh, dialogue balloons work and and uh, the way characters interact goes a long way. Were there any particular books you read that really that really made an impression that you took specific things from as you were crafting your process? Not particularly. I mean, I think every once in a while you're reading a book and you come across a page where a writer devised something interesting or something different. 
for instance, I was just reading the the new Spider-Man that came out, and they have a page where they have a character walking down the hall, and he's looking at his phone, and the actual dialogue of the the page is shown through their text messages. Hmm. So little creative things like that that you could use to to throw into your own book go a long way, even if it's subconscious. But it goes, um, yeah, it does go a long way when you're trying to tell your own story to know all these different techniques and tools that people have at their disposal. If there were a writing equivalent of the Kubert School, is that something you would you would be interested in? Uh, yeah, definitely something I would check out. I mean, that would definitely be pretty cool. They do offer every once in a while some some writers have online workshops, but nothing as as serious or as intense as as that. Right. And while I know Batman writer Scott Snyder, he's ta- he's at where he teaches regularly. I don't know, or has at least taught in the past uh, writing classes. I want to say it's Sarah Lawrence. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, he was teaching there. I don't think he does anymore. I got to sit in one of his classes. Oh, yeah. yeah. How was that? That was really cool. Because <laughs> uh, he was talking about his writing process. And um, it was actually a group of Sarah Lawrence students who came in contact with us at the Kubert School to, you know, kind of unite us and get a feel for each other of how we work and things like that. So seeing how a writer's course is instructed, especially one by Scott Snyder, um, there were similarities in like discussions of storytelling and things like that, but I mean, it was a whole different process overall. And uh, Capullo actually, Greg Capullo, uh, Skyped in with us that day. So we got to see a writer-artist pairing and how they work. Right. And we got to see some sample scripts that Scott did at the time the Zero Year storyline was going on. And we saw a bunch of the, the pages that Capullo had done and, you know, their emails back and forth to each other. So it was a good... Uh, studying a view of how that writer-artist dynamic works. Yeah, I would imagine, you know, to be an artist and get that insight into the other side of it, that must be incredibly, you know, valuable. And, I mean, yeah, Snyder and Capullo, it seems like that is a very collaborative pairing. Uh, you know, I know other writers, they'll they'll script very tightly, and the artist might not have as much, yeah. you know, room to maneuver. Um, but then you have something like that. I mean, like Frank, for you, so like your Modern Testament books, what sort of relationship do you have with those artists? What is that dynamic like? So uh, I would script the stories before I even had an artist involved. And then I would go out searching for an artist to fit the particular style of that story. And I, I've talked about this a lot with a lot of people, a lot of fellow creators, that there's a, there's a push and pull between scripting and being very tight with details and leaving uh, leeway for artists to put their own flair on it. Because at, at one point, you're a writer and you want the story to look a specific way, but at the second time, you're entrusting your artist to um, put their own feel into it and to make their own decisions. So it's, it's a little bit of a balancing act. And But at the end of the day, writing is, I think, way different than, uh, than an artist process because everything you do is pretty much behind the scenes. Nobody's really going to look at the, the script that you're writing. So when people teach... It's, um, it's really, you, you can pick up certain things, but at the end of the day, everybody has their own process as far as what they want to put down on the paper. Right. Well, I would imagine for you, in a case like that, where you're writing it first and then seeking out an artist, the script would have to be, you know, pretty tight, right? Because you, it's not like you know who you're going to be working with, what their style is, what the rhythm is like, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, it, when, I, when I'm working with an artist in mind... It's more of a conversation. Like I can address, I could put in the script that I'm addressing an artist. Um, particularly, I could say you, and I could I could use. Um, I don't want to say jokes, but uh, language where th- certain things are implied. Well, they'll know what I'm thinking beforehand, as opposed to when I need to really put a lot of stuff down and 
be a lot more communicative with what I mean. Right. So can you tell us a little bit about your anthology series, Modern Testament? I know I got to read some of it and I enjoyed it a lot. So the story of biblical beings in modern society and trying to find their place and find their way. Yeah. So the, the basic gist of Modern Testament is there's a whole range of biblical beings as far as angels, demons, uh, horsemen of the apocalypse. And the concept behind the series was to isolate these characters and to really focus in on what they mean and put them in a modern day setting. So there's no overarching story. All the anthologies aren't tied together. Even the stories within the anthologies aren't tied together. Everything is standalone. And it really focuses on the, the characters and these beings themselves uh, as opposed to some grand plot. Right. So now how much of this did you write before you had a publisher? So... Um, I had, well, it's interesting because we were talking about classes. I took a brief online class. It was just basically an introduction to comic writing when I decided I wanted to, I had no idea how to write a comic script. So that was basically, it was basically like a small boot camp. And what came out of that was a short and it was the, um, the first short that appears in the series based on an angel. And after I finished it and after I got it created, I'm kind of like, I can't really do much with a short. So I need to fill out the anthology. I need to fill out the book. And so then I made the, the second story, which is a demon, the last story, which was a horseman, the apocalypse. And then from there, I pitched the publisher and it was really a one shot and he picked it up and he liked it. And then afterwards he said, you, you interested in doing any more? So really the first one had no publisher involved. And then the rest of the series, after it got picked up, I had uh, insane comics was in mind and they were always going to be the ones to put it out. And you had, when you presented it to Insane Comics, was it drawn at that point? Yes, it was completed. How'd you find your artists? Uh, networking online, forums, and, and the such. It was in, it, there's a lot of um, creator community, let's say. So uh, talking to people and saying, do you know an artist that would fit this story? Or just seeing people post their samples all the time. That was really the best way to, to find somebody. If you don't mind me asking, I mean, did you pay them or was this something they did? Yes, this was because I wanted to keep the, the Modern Testament IP myself. So I'd hire them beforehand because otherwise, if you if you don't want to pay them, you got to give them a piece of the pie. So right. I, this was really my series and I wanted to put it all together. Right. So that's how it came out in the end. So you wrote it, you hired artists to draw it, you yeah. brought it to Insane. Why Insane Comics? I Well, I was looking at small publishers at the time, small indie publishers, and Insane had actually not released their first line of books at the time. I think this was 2000, I want to say two years ago. And then uh, they were looking for books to start their line and they they picked it up and it was awesome. So Modern Testament was part of their initial release, their initial package. I think it was on Free Comic Book Day two years ago. And so now they have, I don't, I don't want to say how many, maybe 30 titles. So it was very cool to be on the ground floor and be part of that first line and see them build over time. Yeah, absolutely. So they've now published four of these anthology yes, issues. Yes, the four and the the last, um, the fourth was the, is going to be the last, and it was published last month in July. And then um, some months from now, we're going to be collecting them all into a trade, which will be pretty cool. Very cool. You know, I went to Catholic school from pre-K through college, so this idea, the religious aspect, is very interesting to me. So yeah, it was, I get a lot of people that ask, "Is is this kind of a religious book?" And it's like, no, I mean, it's not any more religious than Constantine is. You know, right. it's just kind of, <laughs> I, I kind of keep it to a, a mythological basis, and I, uh, it's it, it's been a lot of fun to write because there's been so many. There's there's three stories every book, and there's four books out, so that's twelve right there. So it's been fun not to focus on one story for so long, and be able to. Uh, 
do different things and move back and forth. Right. I mean, I don't know what your religious background is, but is that back? Does that background inform any of this? No. 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 In school, um, no. No. <laughs> it's it's basically just interest. I mean, I treat it the same as I would Greek mythology or Roman mythology or Egyptian mythology. I mean, as comic readers, I'm sure we have an interest in mythology because people say superhero today are are our mythology. So yeah. It's right, de- right. It's definitely interesting, being interesting to me as far as the characters and the stories, but it's not. It has. It's not. I wouldn't call it personal. Right. Yes, I've always. I, you know, again, spending a lot of time in Catholic school, always felt it was a great story. No. Beyond that, well, I'll leave it at that. <laughs> but I think it's. I think it's a great story, and, and definitely you've been able to mine a lot of that. And now you've done. So I, I want to talk about you know getting the work out there and, and and that aspect of it. I know you've done signings. You've done signings right here at Spiders Web, I've right? Done, I've done a signing here. I've done a couple of con appearances. Were you here for the signing, Damien? I think I was. I was working out there, I believe. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it turned out pretty well, right? Yeah, there were a couple of people in here. It was cool to see people come in just because it was a day and they went to go pick up comics and they saw that I was here and it was it was cool to, to find people that w- came in that weren't interested that they left interested. Right. Yeah. So again, I do want to I want to get back into that that whole side of it, but we'll toss it back to Damien. So you're at the Kubert School, right. right? So who are some of your instructors? I mean, the Kubert brothers, Adam and Andy, yeah. they they teach there. Mm-hmm. Uh, unfortunately, I didn't get to have Joe. Uh, because he passed away right after my first year. Oh. Uh, I did get a chance to meet him, though, so, you know, that was cool. But, yeah, aside from Andy and Adam, uh, Fernando Ruiz, who was on Archie for a while, uh, he's one of the more classical Archie artists, him and uh, Dan Parent. Uh, Jan, uh, Jan Derzma, who was doing mostly just Dark Horse Star Wars uh, with Kate Skywalker and, and those storylines. Uh, Giovanni Valletta, who is currently drawing... X-Men Blue. Yeah, we, we've had a, a mix and match of, uh, of different creators who have had at some point, you know, drawn comics professionally. Yeah, we, we've, we've had uh, all aspects of the industry. So we had inkers teaching us, we've had pencilers teach us, and then we have paintings as well. So it was a mix and match of different things and, and figure drawing. Cool. So, I mean, yeah. ultimately, was it an experience that you found to be worthwhile? Are you glad that you went? Oh, yeah, for sure. Um, I was a big fan of the Kubrick's growing up because uh, growing up in the 90s, um, Andy was on X-Men for about six years and Adam had a big extensive run on X-Men as well. So um, growing up on that, uh, I became familiar with that name. And so it, it was exciting to have them as teachers. Um, and it's, it's, it's even cooler now to get to call them as friends rather than teachers because they, they're really cool people. And what about networking? I mean, has has going there opened doors for you? Have you found that to be the case? Uh, yeah, because every year they would have uh, different publishers or, or people from different publishers come to the school and review our portfolios. So in, in our last year, um, we were reviewed by DC while they were still out here, uh, Valiant, uh, Dynamite, various different publishers. So a lot of those editors and contacts, I've remained in contact since. Um, plus, we would go on field trips to New York Comic Con. So um, going to those places and, and conventions like that, you would meet and branch out. A lot of it really is up to you uh, as an individual. Um, you know, they kind of give you the keys and it's up to you to drive. Right. So, yes, that's something, again, working in law school admissions, we often get that question about employment prospects when you're done. And I always t- tell them all the resources that the school offers. And if you take advantage of them and you make the most of it, 
you know, that's how you'll succeed. Right. Um, so, you know, since graduating in, in 2014, I know mm. we mentioned uh, the Red Sonia appearance. Yeah. Uh, so where might people have seen your work um, otherwise? Uh, so, yeah, Red Sonia, um, that was issue three or four. I forget which one. And, you know, if they came across any of my sketches opening uh, X-Men Man of War 4950, because they were polybagged issues. So they included either uh, a print or original artwork. That or uh, if they opened a bunch of trading cards. <laughs> uh, I did a bunch of Marvel trading cards for, for Upper Deck. And how did those opportunities come about? Um, it was actually during my third year at Qbert. Uh, Cryptozoic was the first one I worked for. They have licenses like The Hobbit and Lord of the Rings and stuff like that. So they reached out to me on DeviantArt, uh, of all places. And at first I thought it was like a scam because I hadn't heard of the company. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but it was legit. And working with them led to Upper Deck. And I guess having a, a social media presence as well uh, really opens up for a lot of people. You know, if they're looking into artists or searching for artists. Yeah, you have a sizable following. Yeah, right? yeah. Um, I, I mostly use Instagram these days. But like I'm on Facebook and, and I'm trying to get my Twitter more active. Um, yeah. It's funny you say that. I mean, so I'm, I'm most comfortable with Facebook. Yeah. And I recently consolidated. I, I previously had individual Facebook pages for each of my documentary projects mm -hmm. and kind of consolidated them all under my comic shop history. That's the umbrella thing for all of these my comic shop related projects. And I've been doing more on Instagram. I like that. I find that, you know, with the right hashtags, especially you get, you get a nice response. Yeah. Twitter, I'm the same. Like I don't use it much. <laughs> and I, it's like on my to-do list always yeah. of like tweet more. Um, but you know, yeah, I mean, definitely having that social media presence, I'm sure, you know, is, uh, is, is helpful. Oh yeah. And, and Instagram in particular, since it's mostly just photos, uh, you get to post your artwork and it's like a quick look at, you know, what the artist is doing and whoever's following gets an opportunity to see uh the process and you know how we go about working things depending on what you post uh, of course speaking of social media this was something i wanted to bring up this idea of of identity and i guess it's appropriate you know we follow all of these comic book characters and many of them have dual identities right they you know, two lives so facebook twitter instagram there's the opportunity for the about section you write your little bio i i don't write non-practicing attorney who works in law school admissions that's that's not how i view myself that's what right. i do on a day-to-day -day basis to draw salary and yeah. get health coverage but <laughs> like that's not who i am so if you look me up on anything you'll see you know podcast host and documentary filmmaker that that's i feel yeah. who i am what i do on a day-to-day -day basis is something else and you know i aspire for the day when this this is my full-time gig right uh, but i mean for you guys how do you view yourselves i mean and, and as far as day jobs i mean damien i know you you help out here at spider's web mm -hmm. is this the main day job do you have other gigs yeah right uh, yeah uh i'm looking into other stuff right now um but mostly i'm just looking towards working comics full-time uh yeah. so currently i'm in the process of sending submissions to dynamite and you know hopefully something works out there uh but yeah that's in, in terms of social media i just write you know, like artist, and maybe I'll put some past clients down, uh, and just my email so people can contact me. But yeah, uh, it's not like I put my entire personal life on there. It's just I, I try to keep it restricted to to the art or you know things related to it. Yeah. And what uh, about you, Frank? So um, I uh, my my full time job is working for a family company. We got Mr. Chimney. We're kind of a contractor here in, in Westchester County, New York. Ah. And so. Being kind of, it's 
being owner of the company, run the company, it's, it helps to have a social media presence. So it's not like I can kind of abandon my job completely, but at the same time, I do use it to kind of promote my writing and promote my my craft and what I got out there. And I, I always tell people if I wasn't a writer, I would not be on social media at all. Yeah. Because <laughs> it's, it's kind of the devil's work. I, I feel the same way. <laughs> but it, it comes with the territory and it's a necessary evil. And yeah. so... So yeah, that that's kind of, I feel the same way. And the writer in me is who I am. I mean, I got kids too and I have a family. So that's kind of, a, I would guess, uh, I have to share it with them a little bit. <laughs> but um, but yeah, uh, it's kind of, I have to, I wouldn't say I have to, but yeah, it's I got kind of three identities. I got my, my family business and I got my family and then I got uh, the writing, what I enjoy to do when I have what little free time that I have. It's like Clark on the farm, Clark the reporter, and Superman. <laughs> exactly, exactly. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Speaking of family, you know, I, I'm always curious what, what the reactions are of the people around you in, in this journey. I mean, I have to say, for me personally, I have an incredible and super supportive wife. And I mean, with without her in my corner, I, I don't know that I'd be able to do all of these things. I mean, traveling around to all these different stores, uh, I mean, it's a tremendous help, you know, just having her with me and having the support. Uh, and, and a lot of great people around me as well. Um, I mean, what has that been like for you guys? So family is always good. And when you write stuff, you want to give it to their family, give it to your family and say, hey, look at this. But they might all, always be into what you're writing. So they'll look at it and they'll be like, yay, it's great. It's wonderful. <laughs> and then I say, well, I don't really trust your opinion. I just kind of have to show you and you're, you're supposed to say it's great because you're my family. But at the end of the day... Um, I don't really care what you say, <laughs> but <laughs> but it, it is good to have somebody. It, it, I can imagine what it's like to have somebody who didn't care or even didn't pretend to care. You know, that could be kind of very detrimental to your already um, over daunting self doubt. So to have somebody around you who who at least acts like they're interested is can go a long way. <laughs> what about you, sir? Yeah, it's more or less the same. Um, my, my family's always been very supportive of it. Uh, and I guess because my father did draw to have somebody in the family to take it seriously and professionally, I, I guess it was a pretty unique thing for us. But yeah, uh, to add on to what Frank said, you know, it's <laughs> when, when, when your family, they're kind of obligated to, to say they like your stuff. So it, it's good to go out to cons and, and hear from different people and, and, uh, you know, people on social media, but then, you know, in terms of comics, there are families who <laughs> they hear you want to do this professionally. And they're not fans of it. So so I, I was lucky to have uh, the support and background from my family there. I think a big source of inspiration for me is my, my kid. He's going to be turning five. So he's in total superhero mode. So um, Modern Testament, obviously, is not really... It's a little bit more of a mature audience for that. But being one uh, able to write something that he can read eventually has been a, a big drive because when he says he's into it, I, I, I trust that he's into it. <laughs> right. Well, you know, it's funny you bring up the family members. Um, so my mother and my mother-in-law, uh, two recent stories. One, I wrote a piece recently for 13thdimension.com about my comic shop travels for, for the other podcast. And I posted it on the My Comic Shop History Facebook page and my personal page. And my mother liked it both times. And then we were texting later in the day, and she was asking me about something, and I responded. And then I was like, "Hey, did you did you read the article?" And she was like, "No, how do I read it?" I'm like, you liked it twice. Like, <laughs> I was like, "Just click on the link." So that that's I'm very supportive. And then um, my mother-in-law recently was was visiting, and we were talking about the Kickstarter campaign that I that I plan to run for the My Comic Shop Country 
documentary. That's the project that I plan to do after uh, the season of the podcast. I've researched this and I've planned it like this is has been a, a constant thing for, for a while now as I'm gearing up to do this. And so I, you know, rattled through my whole my whole plan of what I'm looking to do. And when I was done, she was like, well, like, what about trying to be a production assistant at a film company? Mm-hmm. And it's one of those things where it's like, oh, like, OK, like that. That's one way of going. <laughs> like I've I've followed this other path and this is what I'm planning to do. I mean, and I, I've encountered that from other people as well. You know, people always have suggestions about things yeah. that that you can do. Do you do you run into that as well? And all the time, yeah. Because <laughs> I mean, part of it is people people don't know. Yeah. Right. Like yeah. you know, if you're not in this world, like if you tell someone oh, I'm I want you know I'm an up and coming aspiring comic book artist, mm. they don't know necessarily if they don't follow this industry what it entails. So, like, what kind of suggestions do you get? The first thing I always get is you should do tattoos. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I know a guy. If you want to, if you want to get into that, and they, they don't understand, it's it's a it's a whole different field. <laughs> on one, you're drawing on paper; the other one, you're inking somebody's body. So, uh, and if you screw up there, that's you can't erase that. <laughs> yeah. So they don't they, they they see you draw and they think everything correlates and goes hand in hand. But each field has its own process. Uh, comics works differently from animation. Uh, animation works different from doing tattoos. Uh, if, if you're a portrait artist or something like that, or or a figure drawing artist, it's it, each of them all have their own processes. So, but it's like you said, people just don't understand. <laughs> they they think it's all the same thing. Yeah. What yeah. about you, Frank? I actually don't get too many recommendations. I get a lot of good lucks. Like, yeah, yeah. okay, good luck. Good luck <laughs> with that. Yeah. <laughs> because. Um, I mean, it is kind of daunting when you say you want to be a writer. Even comics or just regular novels, you can go online and just search indie novel and you can just have a billion Facebook pages of people uh, promoting or advertising their work. So you're really a, a tiny little fish in a huge ocean trying to, to make your own name. So it, it is daunting, but um, people don't have too many suggestions. I mean, I would, I would actually be open to them at this point. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, so sort of on that note of getting the work out there, because that's something that, you know, again, I know from my own experience with the films and everything, it's, you know, it's, it can be very difficult. Like you have social media, for example, so you can get your work out there, but then you're competing with all these other people yeah. who are doing the same thing too. So it's like, how do you, how do you try to cut through the noise? I find writing to be very difficult because uh, when it comes to art, people can look at your art and they form an opinion on you in about right. two seconds. But when it comes to writing, anybody can really hit a keyboard and, and put words down on the page. You have to find somebody who's dedicated enough to sit down and read it for them to form an opinion. So trying to uh, make your own name and have somebody interested in your work, it's been tough to have somebody sit down and, and read it. And, and um yeah, it's tough to do things like interviews and you do things like try to get people to review your work and then hopefully after people hear enough other people talking about it, they'll say, let me give you a shot and you hope it picks up steam from there. Yeah, uh, on my end, it's keeping in contact with the context you didn't make. Um, I think it's very important as an artist. Uh, a lot of a lot of the process that, that uh, it entails is just emails, constant emails back and forth um, and setting up appointments and constantly setting submissions uh like these current pages i'm doing for dynamite this is probably my fourth or fifth uh time submitting to them um i've submitted to marvel in the past i've submitted to dc uh and you know it's it's a lot of rejection (laughs) 
The, well, the rejection part of it is funny. So, yeah. you know, with, with each of the documentaries, I've submitted them to film festivals and they've all played at a number of festivals. But, I, you know, if you look at the list that they played at, it's like it's a decent amount, nothing crazy. But they were rejected by so many more. And it's like in the beginning when I would get one of those rejections, I'd really take it to heart and be like, oh, man, now? Yeah, it's like I, I swear I don't even blink. Like I just yeah. go about my day. It's like oh, that didn't work out. It's, you get, you you get, get numb to, to it. it. Yeah, yeah. Um, and the way I look at it too is even if you do get a rejection, it's kind of a good thing the first time around because it'll uh, humble you, I think, as an individual, and also the fact that somebody actually took the time to even look at your work or even consider it. Because as you said, there's a multitude of people out there who are submitting at the same time. And, you know, the hundreds, thousands that might be submitting, the fact that they chose to look at yours, um, you know, even if they did pass on, it's, it's, uh, that's kind of a feat in itself. Yeah. And I think you, you learn to kind of put things in perspective. Like yeah. with the film festivals, I've, I've learned now when something that I make gets into a film festival, doesn't mean I've made a masterpiece. Right. And when it gets rejected, it doesn't mean it's terrible. Yeah. As far as the submission process of, of all of this, I am very curious because I know like the comic book publishers often will not accept unsolicited submissions, right? So what, what kind of channels are you going through to, to submit these things? It's mostly getting to know the editors personally, okay. Um, especially at cons. So when, when I go to New York Comic Con is the one where I meet the most people. Uh, and rather than seek out the, the artists uh, in Artist Alley, for, for information, I look out for editors, um, whether they be at the publisher boots or sometimes they're just randomly wandering around. And they are the ones who, who get you work. So I, I try to target them specifically and email them as much as I can when I do have their contact information. But yeah, like if you go on the websites like Marvel right now, uh, like they'll have a submissions page, but then they say they're not accepting submissions. So, uh, <laughs> it's a trap. Yeah. So, uh, getting to know the editors personally is, is, a is a better uh, course of action when it comes to doing that. Who, you know, it's yeah. really like, uh, no matter what field you're talking about, exactly. it always makes a difference. Mm -hmm. There's a great bit in the honeymoon. I don't know if you guys are honeymooners fans. <laughs> yeah. 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 I love it. Oh, I yeah. do a whole podcast on the honeymooners, but there's a great bit where Ralph goes on this rant about, he's like, you can know everything. You can know the encyclopedia backwards and forwards, but if you ain't got no connections, it doesn't matter. It's all yeah. about who you know. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So yeah, I'm sure cultivating those, those relationships is, is super important. I mean, how do you find, like if you walk up to an editor at a convention with your portfolio, I'm mm. assuming, I mean, like how receptive are they? Or do they look at it on the spot or is it more like just making the, the connection and then following up with them later? Yeah, it's, it's, it's a little bit of both. Um, sometimes it's either from prior meetings or like appointments that were set up. And, you know, you might catch them and they recognize you and, you know, you have a discussion and then you just happen to have your portfolio and they decide to check it out or uh, you sign up for an appointment on the spot. And, you know, some are willing to look at things right, right then. Others, they might not have the time for it or they'll send you or refer to you to someone else. Right. Yeah. I mean, at least you have the, and we touched on this before with the social media, but at least you have the opportunity. It's like, even if you have five seconds with them, you could say, hey, look at this. Right. Yeah. Whereas Frank with you, I mean, again, like you said, it's, I mean, it's tough to get somebody to read something. Yeah. Uh, I went to Comic-Con Chicago this past April and that was, that was really helpful when I got to stop by the booths and talk to a lot of the guys. And as Damien was saying, the editors are the people that make the decisions. They're the ones that you want to talk to. And at this, and you really got to get them to sit down and take a look at your stuff so it's a real uphill battle as a writer i found to 
to get people interested in your work and have them find them, make them find the time in order to do that. And even so, they go a lot off of on reputation. If they've known that you are reputable enough to put out a book and that you're not going to flake on, on delivering on their scripts, then, then they'll be more interested. So it's, it's a matter of just keep chugging along and putting stuff out there any way you can. And if you can show a, a portfolio of, of books that you've put out to show that you're, you're capable, they'll be more interested in giving you the time of day. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, I mean, that makes sense. Now, I mean, for you, you've done your, you know, your, so it is still creator owned at Insane. How does that work? What is that model like? So everybody owns their own IP as far as the books go. And they just, they sell the book and they pay the, um, based on royalties. Okay. That's, that's how it works. I would guess it would, any sort of, indie indie publisher as far as in the the regular traditional indie sense it's not like image where they take their cut and then whatever you sell you sell so they they're working to to pay the pay the printing costs and whatever marketing costs they have and then they give you a a percentage on whatever they're selling okay i was on the insane comics site and there was a retailer order page Mm -hmm. are are the Insane Comics books available through Diamond or do you have they to go directly not, through They're Insane? not through Diamond right now. I mean, everybody wants to... Diamond's like the goal for a lot of people. Everybody wants to get in gold at, and in Diamond. That's kind of the, the plateau. Once I'm in Diamond, then everybody's going to be interested. But that's really the beginning of the struggle, you know? Getting in Diamond is not really a gold mine. You have to get people interested in order to, to purchase your book because everybody's interested in DC and, and, and Marvel and comic book stores aren't going to want to pick up a book that's not going to sell so i in some ways i find making something retailer direct is a little bit more of i wouldn't say an edge but it might be a little bit better because in that case you're not getting lost in the flood of what diamond has to offer you're you have a little bit something to, to stand out as far as bringing something to a store as far as getting stores excited about it, I mean, where where's sort of the line? Like, how much is Insane doing on their own and how much of this is falling on you? I, I, I've i actually found, as far as in indie publishers go, they do a lot more than most. Most just say, look, this is your book. We'll put it out there. It's up to you to, to do what you can to get people interested. But they they really push hard and they they're backed by their creators as far as pushing their insane line. I mean, they got a lot of books now, so it's your responsibility to make sure your book stands out as far as what they have to offer. But as far as insane as a whole, they're pretty dedicated in, in, in getting stores interested and not just stores, but individual customers at cons go. They, they, they're, they're big con guys. So I was fortunate enough to be with them in Chicago and see them in action. And it's, it's pretty impressive. As far as your own hustle and trying to reach out to stores and things like that, I mean, what kind of, re- like what, I mean, if you don't want to name them individually, that's fine. But like what, what sorts of stores are you reaching out to? What kind of reactions do you generally get? So uh, New York City is like, they have, a, there's a ton of stores in the city. So it's cool in that you can just walk from block to block, just stopping off at stores and trying to see if people are interested. And there's, they're all over the spectrum. And some people just say, yeah, we're not interested. And other people pretend they're like they're interested and other people are really interested. So it's, and it's not based on how big the store is. I mean, I went into Forbidden Planet, which is a huge store and they were fairly receptive and they, they said, drop some stuff off and we'll be in touch with you. So it really, it really all depends on what everybody's personal preferences is as far as how much BS they want to deal with. As far as retailers, uh, you know, I, I've been speaking to a lot of them with the other podcasts. They've all been great and very friendly, but I also know 
<laughs> from my experience at alternate realities, they can be a little ornery sometimes. I mean, are, have there been any, uh, I don't know, any like harsh reactions from, from retailers, anything that kind of puts you off? No, I actually haven't had any of those yet. You actually get the harsher reactions from people that work there that just they just don't want to be bothered. They're like, yeah, whatever, okay, leave books. We'll we'll kind of pass it along. But as far as owners go, they're more interested because this is a it's every every comic book store is a passion project and a labor of love. So they'll they're more into it and definitely more receptive into some kid that's walking in that's kind of pitching their book. Yeah, one thing that I've I like to think I found the right balance, though. I don't know. Others might beg to differ. You know, when you are following up with, you know, Damien, an editor, or Frank, a comic book store, you know, there's that line between being persistent and being a pest. Yeah. And, you know, I, I always struggle with this, and I, I always find I'm I'm probably, like, overly apologetic, you know, when, I, when I'm reaching out to people, because, I you know, I don't I don't want to bother them, but no. I found that a lot of times, you, you know, you... Sometimes Kinda it does to. take, a, mm. you know, a few tries. Like I was recently interviewed by Newsarama, which was great. I think that brought a lot of new ears to the podcast. And I, I'm really appreciative of the opportunity. But again, like that took that took a little bit of back and forth. And, yeah. you know, how do you find that line between persistent and pest? I found that comics particular, people get it. Comic people are a little bit more laid back, a little bit more cool and a little bit more... Um, understanding of the industry that they're in and people are aspiring and they want to climb the ladder and they, so pestering them they'll they get it a little bit more but I, I write traditional novels too and traditional publishers and agents uh, as far as that side of the writing field goes they're a little bit more yeah 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 okay okay leave us alone you know so comics are, comic industry is definitely a lot more pro, I would say approachable is the word and um, it's be respectful you know that's that's the the name of the game. As long as you don't, you're not a jerk and you're not conceited or arrogant. They uh, they'll get back to you, or at least they'll give you a, a polite no. Yeah. yeah, I found keep it short too. Yeah. Um, I mean initially, but especially with follow ups. Like when I do follow up, I try not to. It's just like a quick one line thing, you know. But but yeah. what is what is your approach, Damien? Uh, so for me, if if I don't hear like a response or anything, I try to follow up maybe every week or so. Uh, just send, you know, a quick message. Um, but there is this one occasion where uh, I was submitting to Marvel and the person wanted me to do some layouts. So uh, it was layouts for, for some sample pages and he didn't want me to go further on the layouts until they get approved. Um, and so it was fine at first. I sent the layouts in, but never got a response. <laughs> and... Uh, you know, every week I would like send something in, but then after a while, like, I kind of just, I, I slowed my approach because I didn't want to seem like I was just pestering this guy. Because I understand, you know, it, it is Marvel. They are constantly busy. Um, you know, I'm probably one out of thousands who are sending in. So, you know, sometimes you get lucky, sometimes you don't. But usually I try to keep like a, like a weekly back-to-back uh, with the editors or whoever I'm talking to. And, and if they are they are responsive right away, then it's more of an easier back and forth frequently throughout the week. And Damien, for you, I mean, going back to this, you know, aspiration, I mean, what, what is the, the goal or the, I mean, the current goal for you? I mean, would working for one of the big two be, be aces? I mean, are you looking to do something creator owned? What, what are your goals? Uh, for me, I just want to work on you know, any kind of book possible. I, I think the end goal for me, uh, Batman's my favorite character. So if, if I get to work on that book at some point in my life, like that's, I guess that's when I feel like I, I finally made it. 
Uh, but right now, like I'm, I'm just looking to get something, you know, with one of the publishers. Uh, in terms of creator-owned, uh, it's something I've personally never really thought about. Uh, we had projects in school while, while I was there, where we had to create like a an IP and you know see if we could take it further from there. And it just uh, it, it wasn't something I was that attached to, like whatever I had to come up with, because I, I felt like it was just things that came up because I had to, you know. Um, so maybe later on down the line, if when I'm more established, that might be something I consider. What if? Uh, a Frank Martin or Frank mm. Martin himself came to you and was like, I want to do this new creator own thing. Like, here's yeah. a script. I want to hire you to draw it. Would yeah. that be something you'd be interested in? Yeah, yeah, uh, for sure. Um, I, I did do one comment like that before, but those you know, those pages are pretty rough looking at them now. But yeah, uh, I, I've, I have been approached by other writers like that too. And a, a lot of it really is, I, I, it's like they, they find you, they're like, hey, we want to work with you. And then the ideas just fall through. Mm. And so... Now, Frank obviously has work out there, so you're someone I could trust. Whereas there's other people out there who they say they want to do the comics, but then, you know, they they, they don't send you anything. So it's like, right. man, you can't get a comic started if there's nothing I can work from. So Would you have any interest in writing something yourself? No. no. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm not a writer. Uh, I, I, I think I could come up with ideas, but I would need somebody to totally refine it and write the dialogue and stuff like that because I am weak in that aspect. <laughs> and as far as like just on a day-to-day -day basis, like how regularly are you drawing? Uh, uh, that's a lot. Yeah. I, I'd say if I have a, a good day to just draw, it's probably uh, upwards of 12 hours. Um, wow. I, don't, <laughs> I don't sleep much. And are these mostly pinups or sequential pages? Or uh, sequentials. Yeah. Yeah. Because the, the editors, they don't really care about looking at pinups. Right. Yeah. It's that um, ability to tell the story visually. Right. right. And if you can, you know, do a pinup, your competition is people like Adam Hughes. So unless you're better than Adam Hughes, you're not going to get a job just doing covers or, or stuff like that. So it's kind of, uh, you know, when, and, and you see this a lot, at a lot of conventions, there's a lot of uh, aspiring artists who have their portfolios in, and I see them get reviewed and it's like, it's, it's nothing but pinups and it's like, the second they see one pinup, if that's what you open up with, they're not going to look at the rest of your portfolio. Right. They'll just skim through it. And Frank, for you, as far as you know, your goals. So again, you've done this creator-owned work. You've written prose novels as well. Mm -hmm. What are what are some of those? Uh, right now, I'm kind of a, a horror guy. I mean, I jump around in genres, but I put out a uh, a dual novella, so it's a double-sided story. You finish one. It's a kind of a vampire werewolf double feature. So you write, you finish one story, then you're done. You flip it over, and you got a uh, a a werewolf story in the back and um just for fun i uh i threw in some comics in there too some short comics so it's kind of a total package and it was cool to find an indie pub indie traditional publisher that would put it out and then uh, i have a, a zombie book coming out too that soon as far as uh, long-term goals for for comics i mean i would love to write for the big two some of those characters but uh i really like telling my own story so i it's really cool to see some some creators uh let's say, make their name writing for Marvel and for DC. And after they get a following, they can they could branch out and then they put out stuff of their own for, for Image or some of the other cre uh, uh, publishers that let you keep your own IP. It's funny. It's kind of cyclical in a way, right? Where the big two probably aren't going to hire somebody who's done nothing, right? So yeah. you need to have had that 
indie creator-owned work, you know, to get some attention in the first place, then you can do something for DC or Marvel, build up yeah. your following, and then go back and do something creator-owned, have it optioned into a movie and be set, right? Yeah. I mean, <laughs> yeah. yeah, I would say one of my, uh, my I wouldn't say writer heroes, but role models or idols is Mark Millar. He's done a, he's probably really hit the, the knack on writing stuff for, for Marvel and for DC. And he's got a ton of creator own work that's been options. And he's, he's really marketed himself kind of, kind of like an evil genius with his, with the way he puts out his book. So, um, to be able to follow in, in, I want to say in his footsteps, but follow that path and to do something like that would be, would be a dream. Yeah. I mean, I know DC, for example, they have their, Boy, I forget what it's called, but it's like their writer's workshop yeah. program. Yeah, they had an artist workshop, writer's workshop. And uh, I've had a bunch of different, I would say, writer friends or creator friends who, who applied to it. And it I wouldn't say it was a joke, but it was it was a little bit funny in the end because they chose people that um, I would say were already established in some form or, yeah. or another. Right. They picked a lot of people who, who could have gotten a job working at at Marvel or DC if they really set their mind to it. So it seemed more like a little bit of a marketing gimmick than an actual um, way to discover um, hidden talent. Yeah, it almost makes you wonder, like, did they already have these people picked <laughs> I, out? I kind of think that. Yeah. Uh, one of my friends actually did the artist workshop, um, and he's currently drawing Nightwing. Oh. Um, yeah. So he, he got he got really lucky. And, and he, he was probably one of the exceptions where he didn't, I think he might have had like one thing published before, but it's like what you were saying. Everyone else, though, who was chosen, like they've had multiple books on on other either uh, publishers or projects. And Frank, for you, I mean, have you have you pitched editors at DC or Marvel? I mean, how how far down that road have you gone? Uh, not nothing at DC or Marvel. Again, you got to have a a, a long standing of, of writing comics to be able to bring to their attention. And Modern Testament works against me in that way because it's not. I'm not writing a story arc. I'm not writing complete issues right. that carry over. They're all short stories. So it's it's hard to show that and to show that I have the ability to carry on a story through multiple issues. Um, so I'm, I, I would like to maybe get in, because it's an anthology, to show that I can write st shorts, to maybe get in on a, an annual, something that they have short stories in to show that I can, I can, uh, I can work in that field. But um, as far as pitching directly, I still got a long way to go. And I know I ran into you at Undiscovered Realm Comic Con. You had a table set up there. I did have a table there, yeah. So that was a cool local con that I didn't really have to drive that far. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, what's the con experience like for you? Because I know, uh, well, you guys know Todd Matthew, right? Yeah. Right? So he's actually, as of this recording, in the midst of his Robots versus Princesses Kickstarter, um, which is going very well. I think he's going to hit his goal. And I know he does that as well. Uh, he sets up tables there. I mean, what, what is that experience like for you? So nobody comes to cons to say, I can't wait to go down uh, Artist Alley and see all the indie creators there. Everybody wants to, <laughs> to buy action figures or to, to, to buy some, some collector's items. So the toughest part is getting people to, to even stop, to even care, to take, a, to take just 30 seconds to, to listen to what I have to say. And... It's it's not easy. Creative types, artists and writers in general are not extroverts. We're kind of we keep to ourselves <laughs> because what we do is is very isolating. So to go to a con and to step outside your shell and to interact with people is is I wouldn't say tough, but it's the name of the game. That's what you have to do. 
So I can tell you how many cons I've been to where I walked on Outer Sally and I see artists just kind of buried in their pad. I mean, that's not why you're here. You could do that at home. Here, It's time to reach out to people. So don't sit behind your table, stand in front of your table and uh, and catch people. So I know that some cons that I get to, I get more out of the people I'm stationed next to. People yeah. that have booths at the cons than the actual people that are attending the cons. Yeah. They're more like a networking uh, medium than a, a way to, to get to an audience. Right. Yeah. Now, Damien, you work at a comic book store. Do you ever use, not in an opportunistic way, but do you ever use the store, you know, do you ever say to Paul, the owner, like, hey, let's try to get this writer to come and do a signing. And then the writer comes and you can say, oh, by the way. <laughs> uh, I've never done it like that. Um, usually it'll be people that I already know. So they're, they're already aware of the kind of work that I'm doing. Like, I, I don't want to feel like I'm, I'm using somebody just for that right, advantage. Right, right. So... Uh, it, it's very, I guess, selective and, and you got to figure out a way to approach it. Like I met Brandon Montclair, uh, undiscovered. He's a writer. I, I think it would be cool to have around here. I know he's doing a signing if he didn't already do it for, um, the latest issue of Rocket Girl, I think in Midtown or something yeah. like that. If yeah. you want to set something up, let me know. I'd be yeah, happy sure. to run it by him. So, all right, guys. Well, I think our time here is uh, just about winding down. Anything else that either of you would like to say? Where can where can people go? Where should people go to follow you and find your work? <laughs> Plug time. <laughs> uh, you can follow me at Damon Torres Art at uh, Instagram or uh, Twitter, or Art of Damon Torres on Facebook. So my Twitter would be at uh, Frank the Writer. It's kind of simple. I'm surprised you got that. <laughs> that was available. Yeah, and I got a. Uh, uh, I put put a lot of my stuff on my Facebook page. Would be Facebook.com/slash Frank Martin Writer. So those are the two. two or, is it author or writer? I think it's writer. Oh, that's the handle, but the page is the called page, Frank. The yeah. page says Frank Martin Arthur. Yeah. So I think Frank Martin Arthur was taken. And Modern Testament is available through Insane think, Comics. Yeah, the easiest way is InsaneComics.com. They have all their titles there as far as Modern Testament. So they have um, all four issues are in digital and print. And then they also we also have two shorts that were released digitally just for free comic book day. So those are also, if you don't want to spend any money, those you could always grab. Cool. Anything else either of you would like to say? It's been, it's been real. <laughs> I guess um, for any aspiring creators who do listen to this, uh, especially those who, who are looking to go into art, I recommend... If you're going to show your portfolio off to editors or, or artists or what have you, uh, keep it limited. Keep it to like your five to nine best pages. Uh, I, I've seen people come in with a full portfolio and nobody's going to want to look through all that. So just ha- have your best, most consistent type pages. And, uh, you know, even after you get rejected, just keep following through. You, you, you gain a thick skin for it. And the more you do it, the better your chances are. Well said. You know, I end uh, each episode of Flat Squirrel Tales by saying, just keep punching, which is one of my favorite Stallone-isms. And, but it's also good advice. So uh, for all of us sitting here and for anyone out there who's listening, who, who aspires to achieve anything in any of these creative fields, or even if it's not a creative field, whatever it might be that you're working towards, you got to be willing to take the hits and you got to keep moving forward. There are a lot of times where I, you know, I've been discouraged or, you know, have felt doubt about is what I'm doing good? Is it worthwhile? And, and it's always tough. And I think you just got to just keep moving, keep your head down, hands up and feet moving and just keep moving forward. This yeah. is the, this might sound pr- pretty silly, but like kind of a mantra that I say to myself, you ever see Finding Nemo and Dory always says, just keep swimming yeah. over. I just sing to myself, just keep riding, just keep <laughs> riding. And it's, it's kind of silly, but uh, 
yeah, just keep your head down and keep moving, and hopefully uh, one day it would pick up steam and traction. Well said. Well, guys, thank you again so much for being part of this episode. It was really a pleasure speaking to you and getting some insight into what you guys go through. Yeah, thanks. Sure. Thanks for having us. Thank you. Thank you to everyone for listening. Just keep punching. (laughs) 